Yavitsa Djurjevic here. This is the Band-Aid. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Band-Aid. I believe this is episode number three. Today, I interviewed Keisha Hicks. She is the Vice President of Human Resources here in Nashville at the Nashville Symphony. She is also the owner and founder of the Elevate Her, which is a consulting group uh, specifically designed to help uh, women and minority women in particular navigate the waters of the human resources world, particularly when it comes to promotions, moving up the corporate chain, getting their dream job, and really fulfilling what they're looking for from uh, a work environment. Super interesting conversation. Keisha has the best personality. I mean, it's just a, a bundle of energy. We recorded this on a Friday early in the morning, and she was just ready to go, which makes my job significantly easier. So I think you are going to love this episode. Go pretty deep on several different topics from failure uh, of success to overcoming the boogeyman that is HR in the culture of a company. Just a lot of the different takes as what she calls Auntie Rona, uh, the pandemic that has really shift the way we view our lives and view how we work and who we work with and the culture of a company and how that has to evolve with the new paradigm that we're dealing with. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Workwithyav.com. So that's workwithjov.com uh, is the website where you can find the podcast and I'll probably get a blog up and going here soon. Um, you can also email me at info at workwithyav.com. And then obviously all the contact information for both myself and Keisha is in the show description, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Google Casts, wherever it may be. So I hope you guys enjoy and I look forward to getting feedback from y'all. Um, Keisha, welcome to the Band-Aid. How excited are you on a Friday morning? Listen, Fridays are like my favorite F word day. You know, it is, it's, it's, I'm just, <laughs> I mean, you asked me to be here. I told you, you asked me to be here. So I'm, I'm super stoked. This is a dope opportunity. I'm you are definitely, you are definitely here. That's for sure. <laughs> um, all right, then we're in here. We are in, we are on the band aid. So I, I got, <laughs> I got Keisha Hicks with me. She is, uh, well, I don't even want to give you an intro because I feel like you do so much stuff. So like, let me, let me let you do your intro. Like, oh, yeah, okay. like there's, I don't even know where to begin. Like, what's the 10,000 foot view? Why are you on a podcast with a dude whose name you can't pronounce? Like, what's the story? Okay. Well, I guess the story is because I have now um, decided that um, I think that people, specifically people that look like me in HR should be able to have jobs that not only um, fulfill them, but pay them well. And mm. so I have started this platform and an organization called the Elevate Her, where I am all things working to elevate women. Mm. And um, you and I connected, I believe, because of that. Yeah. I saw your presence on LinkedIn. I'm mm -hmm. always curious. So you know the whole stat about LinkedIn, they have like 750 million members, but less than 1% of LinkedIn members have ever posted not post regularly like have ever like yeah. reposted an article that their company put out mm -hmm, any mm -hmm. sort of presence mm -hmm. so whenever i come across anybody and anything on linkedin like putting out just like a lot of positivity a lot of um value that's being created instead of you know stories that aren't real <laughs> which yeah, is what yeah. we see a lot on linkedin yeah 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 it's the filters man yeah yeah my, my little light bulb goes off and i'm like huh to elevate her interesting mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and then I told you, uh, personally as well, you know, it's been on my mind, my wife's pregnant, we're having a daughter and I'm sitting here like, okay, like that's really cool because as a father to be, she's not even here yet. And I'm already thinking like, okay, how can she have a better life than I did? Absolutely. Um, so like, again, just anybody and anything that's trying to do something positive, that's trying to move things in the right direction. Um, and that, you know, you got a lot of personality, you show it through your LinkedIn. So I'm like, that's a good podcast. <laughs> And here we are on a good here Friday. We are. All right. So, so tell me your story. Like how did, like, how did you end up in HR? Um, yeah. cause you are, you know, you're, you're, I don't know if it's your day job, like your, your main LinkedIn besides the elevate her is also, you are the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, the director of HR for the Nashville symphony. No, I am the VP. Get it all the way, uh, oh, get, mm -mm, all the, the way VP. together. Get my it apologies. all the way together. Put some my respect apologies. on my name. Put some I will respect put the respect on my name. The, the vice president of human resources. <laughs> um, no. 
It's just a title. It's just a title. <laughs> the, the, the ultimate boogeyman in an organization. Right. Human resources. The principal. Right. I'm in the right. principal's office. Yes. Yeah. So tell me about um, that. How'd you end up in that world? Yeah. So um, I always say I'm not new to HR. I grew up in HR. Hmm. Um, my very first real job outside of like flipping chicken and burgers uh, <laughs> was real talk in, uh, in HR. I was a senior in high school. And I was like one of those super smart kids that um, had all of my credits before I even like really stepped into my senior year. Mm. And so it was like, okay, well, you really don't have to be here all day, but for the sake of the law, we can't send you home. So we partnered with some organizations. And um, if you want to get some real world experience, and I was like, before you say anymore, did they pay? Because I was all about Air Maxes and guest jeans. Okay, don't judge me. So 2021 yes. is like your time because Air Maxes and guest jeans are back in. Come on, come on, circle I'm about right to on buy, back. I'm about to buy some Air Max uh, uh, golf shoes. Hey. They have you. those. It's, it's the bomb, right? Like, right. that's the best. Like, it was the best thing. It's the best orthopedic thing now. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it's good for your knees. Yeah. But, um, but they were like, yeah, you know, they'll pay you and you can, like, go to school in the morning and you can go to work in the afternoon. I was like, okay, cool. So I actually um, did that, and I um, started my career in um, a General Motors manufacturing facility mm. in Indiana, where I'm from. I worked for um, the department of uh, HR department, uh, specifically for the labor relations director. Okay. Um, it was like my first real grown-up role. I had my first real grown-up cubicle. I was like, Ooh. oh, this is what people do when they say I'm going to work. You know, I got a lunch bag and everything, right? I was mm. that chick. Um, but it wasn't what I wanted to do because see, I thought I was going to be a flight attendant because I thought that was like the coolest job in the world. <laughs> but, pretty cool. Like. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You get to fly around places, yeah. you meet new people. Um, but my parents, um, were like, no, you're going to get another, like what they thought was a real job. No tea, no mm. shade towards, um, uh, flight attendants. Um, and so, um, I was like, at this point, I didn't even know what I wanted to do outside of that. That was what I wanted to do. Um, and so I stayed there for a little while, did my thing, um, because I was always raised, you show up with a spirit of excellence, wherever you go. I don't care if you're the trash man, you're the boogeyman, (laughs) whatever you are, you show up and you be the best daggum thing you can. Um, and so I did that and got the opportunity to kind of promote and move around in that organization. Um, administration changed and then I got stuck in purchasing. Completely mm. out of HR, stuck in yeah. purchasing and this rotation that this guy especially for GM, in. right? Which was yeah, like you're, you're buying chips and and I mean like auto chips and like bumpers, and, yeah, and, and negotiating yeah, and with people, was, man, and and bullying people, mm-hmm. right? Like I had to tell people, I don't care if you got to put my parts on your back and walk them to the plant. You better get them here. <laughs> you know, you shut my line down, like you know, and that's so not me. And yeah. I was just like. I can't be mean to these people. And so um, I decided that, you know, that was cool. They let me go to school half time during the daytime and, you know, and then come back to work. It was just, it was a perfect setup mm-hmm. for a kid that they had no clue what she wanted to do. Um, I ended up moving from Indiana to Nashville. Um, came down here to go to school, but then also worked. Um, but of course, went right on back into manufacturing. Uh, worked at Nissan for a while, six years, a long while. Um, still doing purchasing and things that I just really wasn't drawn to do. Um, I became a single mom during that time. And that's when things kind of shifted in my life and I had to figure out what in the world am I doing? This ain't it. Yeah. This is not it. Yeah. It's traveling and bullying people is not it. So I tried to figure out how to get back in HR. I did that by coming through the back window, so to speak, through an IT project hmm. in state government. And I used to joke about state government all the time. Cause you know, state government has stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Nobody in state government works and da 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 And they're slow. And you know what? Maybe yeah, it's, the, it's the C students in class. Right. Yeah. Right. And, or the ones that didn't come to class and they just signed up because it was a job fair. I don't know, but, but, um, it was great. Um, I spent actually 13 years in state government. Okay. Um, came in through an IT project, promoted up through the ranks, um, ended my career with staying state government as like number two in an HR shop. So as in a director. 
and then decided that I wanted to launch the Elevate Her because I was like, you know what? People need to understand how to do this because mm. this is not easy, like navigating this career. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to teach women how to do it. And so I said, in order for me to do that, I need to step down a little bit. But, you know, with all things, I still am responsible because I had at that time had re- had had gotten married, um, had a new baby. She was a baby at the time. Um, and, um, two bonus kids that I, I got with the deal. Right. <laughs> so it's like, bonus kids. You know, I've never heard it called that. Yeah. Bonus so kids. I had, it's okay. always tell people I have two bios, two bonuses. And I just really <laughs> didn't want to like, you know, it was like, okay, it was not the time just to walk away completely. Yeah. So it was like, but I needed to step down. So I stepped down to go and work for the Nashville symphony and really to do some DE and I work there, which is, mm-hmm. I, I was like, this is dope. My son, um, was a part of one of their education programs. Um, and so I was like, this is a great fit. I know the organization. It's great. Life's good. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So all those years mm-hmm. in state government, then at the National Symphony, and in the meantime, you you launched the Elevate Her. So what was yep. the what was the hinge moment uh, that pushed you in the direction of being like, you know what? Because I've talked about this before with my other podcast, which is the one that I've been doing for years, and then this one, and and all the different things. Mm-hmm. It's excruciatingly exhausting to be worried about what other people are going to think about a project that you are putting out there. And we can all pretend like we don't care, but all of us care. Like every Mm -hmm. single time I put an episode, I'm like, ah, crap. I hope somebody listens. And, Mm -hmm. and there's, there's a stress involved with that, but Mm -hmm. there's, and that's what paralyzes so many people from doing, doing a project such as the elevator. What, what was that moment where you were like, no, I'm doing this. Like it pushed you over the edge to overcome any of those doubts and fears that you might've had and said, you know what? I want to help women do this and I'm going to do it. Or was there a moment? No, it was a moment. The moment was when I had to figure out whether or not, like, I really wanted to go back to work after maternity leave. Mm. And what did that really look like? You know, because I was looking at my daughter, like my son, it was different. You know, I was much, much younger when I had my son. And so I was in hustle mode. You know, it was like hustling, trying to get to my grad to grad school, hustling, trying to get, you know, the bank built up, you know, trying to get to the bag. That was my thing. Mm -hmm. Hustle, hustle, hustle. And then with her, it was like, wait a minute, I'm in a different place. Yeah. And I'm looking at her and I'm like, I don't want her to have to hustle like I did. And so looking at her, I'm telling you, like, I feel sorry for my son sometimes, but I'm like, like she was the one. You get so much more attention. Right. I'm like, she was the one that that really pushed me to say, you know what? No, Um, do what you need to do. And it was so funny because when I decided that I was going to do it, it's always the people closest to you. They got a lot to say about what you're trying to do. Always always and it's like oh that's cute you're gonna start a little business oh that's cute everything is little (laughs) and it's minimized and so to your point it's like yeah you just I mean that was it was like I'm not doing it for you anymore like I'm Mm -hmm. doing it for my daughter my son doesn't really want anything to do with it although he gets to be an intern (laughs) at times (laughs) and he benefits from it you get to pay him and then take that tax deduction yeah 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 so, I mean, you know, it's all good. But yeah, no, she was totally the turning point for me. That's so interesting. Like you're starting a little business or like once you start making a little bit of money, your friends mm-hmm. are like, oh, it must be nice. It is nice. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. It is actually really mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> like I've worked mm-hmm. hard for mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So you start the elevator you, you, while you're still obviously doing your VP role and and yeah. building out the infrastructure there. And and talk to me about, and we we discussed this a little bit when you and I connected. I made a joke about it earlier, but the boogeyman in HR. Um, I've been lucky in the sense that all the HR people that I've ever interacted with were just like by nature, cool people. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I never felt like, um, especially in the financial advising role that I was in for 10 years, you have HR and then you have compliance too. Compliance is like, you know, the real boogeyman. Again, Mm -hmm. all the people that I dealt with were super cool. So I never felt like they were the principal. I just Mm -hmm. felt like, okay, Mm -hmm. like you got a job to do. I got to stay within certain boundaries. I will respect those boundaries to the best of my ability. If I screw up, it's inadvertent. Tell me. Right. Um, right. But most people see it as like, oh, crap, I got to go talk to HR. So so how mm-hmm. do you tackle that, that mind? Um, it's all about empathy to me. It's all about emotional intelligence to me. Right. Mm. Yeah. And, and above all, it's all about relationship building. Because, I mean, I could be the boogeyman, but then it's like, how much am I going to get people to actually buy into with me? 
Like, like I was saying, like with my previous roles, when I had to bully people into doing stuff, I didn't, I never wanted to show up like that. Hmm. So um, for me, what I feel has always been my strong suit is my ability to build relationships with people mm-hmm. and to really genuinely like be in a space where I can understand that you are who you are. You came to work with your stuff. I came to work with my stuff. Right. But in the end, we're still both people. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I, my job is to understand you and to hopefully get you to understand me. And I can't just pound you with everything I want you to understand. And so it's always just being able to um, to have be approachable in that way, but then also to help like other leaders to see it the same way. Like, you know what? These are people. These are not. I know it's blips on a on a on a balance sheet for you, maybe, right? But yeah. it's like these are actual people with real lives, with real stuff, and we just have to treat people with that grace and that humility and that that I think we need always need to show up with. Do you feel like that is easier or harder in an organization? Because you went from the from the state, right, which is a, yeah. a massive organization in any state. You could be Rhode Island; it's going to be huge. To mm-hmm. the National Symphony, which what a couple hundred employees? You're full time, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, a decent sized company. It's it's not a startup by any stretch, but it, it's not right. you know thirty thousand employees. Right. Do you think it's easier or harder um, to c- create that culture in a small organization such as that or a larger one? Because in the larger one, in my opinion, you could probably get lost more easily, but you also have, you just have more access to resources. You you just will. Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. You know, and I think larger, yeah, you got more access to resources. Um, there's more of the the structure there, it's not so flat. And so people just kind of buy in, you know, just it's the conformity deal. Mm. But when you're in a smaller situation, um, it's, you have the challenges of that family structure, right? Everybody looks at each other like family. And so when you're outside coming in, that's Mm. a little hard because you have to, you know, work through, am I being accepted in this Mm. space? Right. So like to actually bring that, that's a little, that's a little more, that's a little more challenging to me in a smaller environment. It's so interesting. The family dynamic, because yeah, you're right. So the company I work for is a, is a huge organization. And when something comes down, I just see it as like, okay, well, it's just, I mean, it's just how it is. Like, I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody in in Charlotte at the headquarters, like Mm -hmm. whatever. But when, like you said, like when you're, when you're part of a small organization, it's more of a family feel Then everybody also gets into their feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everything is personal everything is personal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well because you have access to the ceo or whoever yeah you know you can, easy you can walk in their office yeah <laughs> it's just a different... and he and he might just come walk in yours or she might just come walk where you are you know yeah. like much smaller yeah it's a different dynamic so mm-hmm. so you start the elevator and those initial conversations that you have. And I'm really curious to see what your thoughts are around this because HR folks are going to listen to this, but not just HR folks, like C-suite folks, you know, all throughout the other VPs, whatever it may be. Um, And I'm sure a lot of the lessons can transcend Mm -hmm. into any field of work, but you have those first couple conversations with your first couple of clients. What do those conversations go like? And and what, what are you like hitting your head against the wall (laughs) wall for like that? You just like, how can I teach you people this? You know what? I think it's it's not that the people that I have the conversation with, they lack the skill yeah, or they lack the education or they lack the experience. It's that they lack the access, right? But mm-hmm. it's like teaching them how to overcome the fear of being able to ask for the access and for being able mm-hmm. to demand the things that are really worth it for them. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Because I hear so many of them say, "Well, I get I I get passed over for opportunities. Nobody even asked me if I'm if I you know would like the opportunity." And I'm like, "Well, did you did you raise your hand? Mm. <laughs> did you show up? Did you did you actually do the things that you need to do in order to be seen, right?" Um, so I think that's the thing that I run into the most, you know, and and, and understanding that, um, helping them to understand that organizations, even though Many organizations, organizations that will hear this will say, oh, we care about our employees. 
organizations do care about their employees. Um, and they will say, oh, well, we want to grow and develop them. They will say that. But what we have to realize is that many organizations, and this might be the controversial point, is that many organizations are only looking to grow and develop people according to the agenda that they have for those people. Ooh, interesting. So if I only want you to go so far, why do you think people get blocked in workplaces? Mm. People get blocked all the time. Oh, I went out for this internal promotion, but I got blocked. Because nobody, because mm. somebody would have to replace you with you. Because clearly you're a high performer. And it's right? cheaper to keep you there than to try to find a replacement for you. For you. Because mm. I now I have to, I have a hole and then I have to train somebody. Mm. And that learning curve for that person to even get half as good as where you are. And then given the market that we're in, I'm going to have yeah. to go out here and really fight for somebody and pay for somebody. Yeah. So again, it's based on that agenda. And what what burns me up about a lot of organizations is even when they say we care about the growth and development of our folks, it's only a certain group of people that they care about that for. Mm. Yeah. Right. It's a self-fulfilling I mean, prophecy at that point. Absolutely. It's like, you know what? We care about growing and developing those people that are what we deem to be the high potential folks. Mm-hmm. Or those high performing folks or the folks that, you know, we're buddy buddy with or whatever. And it's like it's so many people that need the coaching, need the, de- the development, need the mentoring. And they don't get it in organizations, organizations that do say, but I care about you. I care about your growth. That's so interesting because let's just stop for a second. The concept of potential is so interesting to me mm-hmm. because it's so easy to define and so hard to define at the same time. I talked mm-hmm. about this with somebody else not too long ago. I was like, what, what is potential? Like, what, what was my potential when I was born? To be the first man on Mars? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not going to be the first man on Mars um, mm-hmm. unless something really goes different in my life uh, that I don't expect. But mm-hmm. was that my potential? Or is the potential like the parameters and the and, and like the the guardrails that have been put in my life for whatever reason that have mm-hmm. pushed me in a certain direction? Like that that is such an interesting concept. And especially like when I have seen it myself, when you give people the coaching and the ability to just think a little bit differently, how they mm-hmm. perceive their own potential changing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you look at the stats, a lot of people aren't leaving workplaces necessarily because of money. Yeah. Right. They're leaving because they're not being grown. They're leaving because there's not those growth opportunities. They're not being developed. They're not, they, there's, they're leaving places that no longer serve them. Yeah. A lot of people die in their thirties and forties. We just wait until their eighties to bury them. That's right. And you and know? that, that is a horrible, horrible life in so many different ways. Um, it is. It especially is. in a time in 2021 where we're, when we compare it to history, we're relatively wealthy, wealthy. We're living in relatively peaceful times. We we don't mm-hmm. have as many external threats as, for example, 400 years ago, where a bear could come into your house and rip your family right. apart very easily. Right. Um, so with that loss of purpose, of immediate danger 24-7, the way our mm-hmm. ancestors did, we need other purpose. Mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm the workplace has to adapt to trying to provide that purpose mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or at least an opportunity for that purpose. Not everybody finds their purpose in work. Right. But then I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that one is. I don't know if it's, be, it, it has to be a shift in how people, how organizations see their, their employees, right? Do oh. you just see them as a number on your balance sheet? <laughs> Do you just see them as, you know, cogs in your wheel? Or do you see them as the actual resource that they really are? You know, and and that's such a fine, that's such a finite balancing act because I try to be sympathetic to both sides of that argument. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Because whether we like it or not, they are at the end of the day, everybody, including the very top is a number on a balance sheet. You know, that is a reality. Um, But then at the same time, they are also a human being. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And it's like, where is that? Like if you had a magic wand, where is that middle balance? Like you just like hit that magic wand and everything's how you would want to see it. I don't know that there is a balance. You know, I think, and here's the thing. I always say balance is a bad word. I think it's just priority, mm. right? It's like there are some times when priority is going to be that balance sheet, but then it's like, but I also have to understand that there are times when the people are the priority. Mm. And when you got people like we now are sitting in this great resignation, when people are like, I am out, I am done. I don't even have anything to go to, but I quit. Like, mm. that's a whole different issue right there. 
right? Talk, and talk about that great resignation, since that's very pertinent to right now. I mean, what have you seen? I mean, again, as a as a broker, I'm talking to HR and CFOs all the time, and the number one thing they always say is like, "Can you find me employees?" Well, I'm not yeah. a staffing agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually reading an article this morning, and jobs report for August reported that four million people have just walked off their jobs, quit. Wow. Four million, that's, and it's not that's Finland. Like, the entire country of Finland walked out of their jobs. <laughs> right. okay, but the thing is, is that this is steady. This is steady, and this has been the case since April. Like, mm. so you're looking at month after month after month, this is what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. And so the forecast is that this is going to be going on until like next year sometime. Yeah. Right? And so that's huge. You have a lot of people that are saying, you know what, I'm leaving because the pandemic, keep it real, had a lot of people have them come to Jesus moments, right? Yep. Like, wait a minute, I don't even know if it's worth it anymore to deal with Susie Joe anymore. And my mm -hmm. stress level, you know, I'm watching people, I'm watching death and dying around me, right? I'm yeah. watching businesses go under. I'm watching, you know, family struggle now. I'm watching sickness. I'm watching all these things. And then you want me to come in and put up with toxic work environments yeah. and some more stuff and working and burning the candle at both ends for what is not even worth the pay? No, <laughs> like I'm not doing that anymore, right? And so people are like, no, I mean, you see so many small businesses starting right now. People are just like, no, I'm just going, I've never seen the word sabbatical used so much. Like people are like, I'm taking a sabbatical That's just so to figure out where I want to be right now. And so, you know, a lot of people are like, I want the opportunity to work from home. How many companies have you seen? I think it was like I saw what Price Waterhouse was like um, recently. I think it came out. Let me this week. Yep. We let all all people work from home. Yep. For right? permanently because so, permanently. So did Amazon with uh, their not their warehouse workers, but like. Yeah. So that's a big thing now. I mean, and so it's like organizations gotta adapt, or you're not gonna be able to fill fill positions, and they're gonna be coming to people like you and me talking about, can you help me find people? Well, and like even the even the working from home thing, I know people personally who have quit jobs or are actively looking because their company is forcing them to come back five days a week. Yeah. And and I just want to go shake that leadership team and say, hey, you do realize that you're going to lose these people. If you just gave them the option to work from home twice a week, you wouldn't lose mm -hmm. them. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Like, yeah. especially here in Nashville. I, I mean, folks are probably listening from all over, but commutes suck in Nashville. Commuting. Awful is awful. terrible yeah yeah like yeah. it can take you an hour to get seven miles and uh, i'm like and then you lose two hours of productivity there and back that you could have had from that person well not just productivity but their their um personal well-being being their own health their relationship sure. with their children like people are looking at it saying like i got two extra hours to hang out with my kids i'm not doing this i will go find no. something else yeah yeah telling you auntie rona did a number on a lot of people. Auntie <laughs> Rona. Auntie Rona. Auntie Rona. I haven't called it Auntie Ro Rona yet. Listen. I'm going to start calling it yes. Auntie Rona. Auntie, Auntie Rona did a lot. She did a lot for people. Like, you know, good, bad, right, wrong. But it has people really looking at what is it that I'm doing? And why am I doing this? And organizations yeah. have to, they have to keep up with that. So, so what, like, what are some action steps you think organizations can look at? Like one or two things immediately of, again, this great resignation is a very real thing. Everybody listening knows that it's going on. It's, I mean, mm -hmm. what is it today? October uh, 15th? 15th, October 15th, um, you know, just immediately. And, and with the folks that you are helping find new jobs, you know, what is attracting them? So that might be a good conversation piece as well, because the folks that you are helping move through the corporate ladder. Yeah. What are they liking? What like what is what is the good stuff they're seeing that they're like I want that job. The things that they're looking for are jobs that are aligning with their ultimate career visions okay. and their career goals, right? Jobs that will not only just like pay them well, cuz that's another thing they're looking for is the right compensation, total compensation. Mm -hmm. Um but they're also looking for jobs that are going to teach them something and grow them. Mm -hmm. Right? in a way that actually helps them to move down their careers, their career paths. Um, so that's that's totally something that they're looking for. So going back to what can organizations do, listen to your people. I have real conversations with people. 
like real conversations where you're actually taking note and not just saying, oh, we hear you, but not doing anything, but mm -hmm. actually have real conversations with your people and ask them, what is it that you really want to do? Right. What is it that you're good at? How do you do you feel like you're being underutilized or overutilized? Are there areas in this business that you would like to learn more about? Right. Because so mm. many people are in positions that they're like, you know what? I would love to learn more about this. There are a lot of people that don't want to leave their organizations, but they feel like they don't have a choice yep. because they've hit a wall in their organization. So my thing is, is that organizations could could, I guess, benefit from thinking about how to repurpose people. Mm. Yeah, it's well, and one of the issues that I've just seen in companies in general is a lot of the times the best worker or producer or whatever gets elevated to manager because they're, oh, they're good at their job, so they should be a manager. Mm -hmm. Just because somebody's good at their job doesn't necessarily mean they will be a good manager. Now, it doesn't mean that no. they won't either, but there, there's hard skills and soft skills. Mm -hmm. You have to have both to be a good manager. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, I think I think historically, this is just my opinion anecdotally, I think historically that has been ignored. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You sit in the seat long enough, we're going to promote you. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I run into so many managers. I'm like, you suck as a leader. You're great at what you do, yeah. but you suck as a leader and nobody taught you that. Right. Yeah. And nobody slows down to coach you on that. Yeah, I remember in uh, 20, I think it was 2014, I saw, do you know who Simon Sinek is? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, I saw him speak in person. And that was when his book, Leaders Eat Last, came out. And that's mm -hmm. what he was promoting. And it was one of the, I was like 25 at the time. It was one of the most eye-opening just conversations and books that mm -hmm. I'd ever read. And he broke down the biology behind it and why we value leadership and why servant leadership, like why we put such a high emphasis on that, why we love those people so much. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just like, man, I wish I could just give this to like every person to read. I thought it was so impactful. Um, yeah. And it's been seven years and I don't know if we've learned any of the lessons that, that he discusses in those books, but. But I think we get caught up in organizations, especially now, again, Auntie Rona has a lot of organizations in survival mode, mm -hmm. right? They're just trying to survive yep. right now. Correct. But it's like, you have to, organizations are going to have to switch from survival to thriving. Yeah. But thriving may mean revamping how you look at your people, people structures. How are you working with people, right? How mm. are you looking at these, whatever high po uh, potential folks and saying, okay, well, we're going to invest our resources in these folks. For example, you know, like something else I'm doing through the elevate her is I'm actually working with Dell right now as well on doing some coaching opportunities for their one, their employee resource group. Ooh, like okay. Del, yeah, that's Del a big organization. Yeah. Dell had some dollars and they wanted to do some professional development coaching, like for a certain group of people, right? Mm -hmm. And here's the thing those these people probably would got a mentor in Dell, right? But they may not have got a coach. Yeah. And that's a different thing. That's a different scenario. And so, yeah, so it's like, bringing in those resources to help those because as you invest in those people and you sit there and you say, Oh, I care about these people. Show them, show them how you care about them, grow them. So how would you describe the difference between a mentor and a coach? Cool. I always love this question. Mentors are like those folks that you like, can I pick your brain for a minute? Can I ask okay. you a question? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. ask them the question because, and, and here's the thing, a mentor could be doing the same thing that you're doing. They could be, or something that you admire about them. You could have several mentors in different lanes. Like I have several mentors, you know, some that are in HR, some that are just leaders, some that are this, ones that are moms, you know, you can have several different mentors, yeah. right? Uh, you might be my mentor one day too, when I try to get a podcast going, just say, okay? <laughs> so, hey, so, you got my number, holler at me. I'm just saying, can I pick your brain? So, yeah. but on a coach, on the other hand, a coach is going to ask you the questions. Mm, yeah. Right. Why do you want to do these things? They're going to hold you accountable for certain things. Right. They're going to help you to think bigger than what you think. Right. Mm -hmm. They're helping you to awaken things in you through questioning and through holding you again, holding you accountable and helping you to create the strategy. Mentors are just like, let's go have lunch. Let's go have coffee and let's talk about this. Right. 
So can a mentor be a coach? Yeah, if they ask you the questions, can a coach be a mentor? Yeah, if they answer your questions. So That's it's like Oh, so interesting. That's such a good yeah. definition. That's why I've I look never at heard it. of that way. Mm-hmm. Man, that's really, really, really good. So what what do you find helps people? I'm a big believer in thinking big for mm-hmm. yourself. Like it drives mm-hmm. me insane. Um, again, one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you, my sister was looking for a job recently and who, okay. Um, she's going to listen to this and be like, why, why are you be putting nice. me out there? I am, nice. I am Don't nice. put your business in Sprint Street. Don't do she, it. Don't do it. She knows I love her. Um, she kept being like, I would, I'm looking for this amount of money. And I was like, her name's Mielza. I was like, Mielza, what are you, what are you doing? That's not worth mm-hmm. it. That's mm-hmm. not enough money. And I did the math for her after taxes. And I was like, that's this per, much per paycheck. You're going to go to another organization for this much per paycheck. That's a waste of your time. theirs, and everybody else's. Cause in 12 months, you're going to be looking for a new job. Mm-hmm. And I told her, look, draw a line in the sand. It might take you three months longer to find this job, but you're not taking a job for anything less than X. And it was quite mm-hmm. a bit more than what she was thinking about. I was like, that way you're not looking for a job every couple of years. And you actually feel like you're making a tangible difference in your life. And you, you, the other thing that I didn't tell her at the time, but I wanted her to see is once you get a job with a certain amount of income, that's your baseline. You ain't never going below that. And it never. sets up your trajectory. It's an exponential, exponential increase over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, so that kind of stuff drives me insane. Cause I'm over here like, listen to me, woman. but you know what that's the differences between men and women though it is right correct men will do that men will men statistically will negotiate their salaries more than women will we'll just take it oh you offer me the interview oh you offer me the job i'll just take it no you will not no you're not countering you're gonna say this is what i need this is this is exactly exactly like i'm not coming for anything less than this Mm -mm. but a lot of it it all kind of hinges on understanding your worth. And when I tell people, what I tell my clients is that you better calculate your own worth because if you expect somebody else to calculate it for you, they're going to grossly misrepresent you. They're going to undershoot you so hard. All the time. All the time. All the time. Intentionally or unintentionally, they're going to do it. And so it is, you know, understanding how you show up as the painkiller and not the vitamin in situations and being able to talk about that. But I'll... I'll I'll even, I'll take it a step further though. So I do agree with you that women do tend to, and it drives me insane, especially all the women in my life, they do tend to undershoot themselves. But I've seen that in men as well. Like one of my buddies got a job and he got offered more than he was looking for. And his first question was like, oh, is this too good to be true? I'm like, too good to be true? What, bro? Like you live in Nashville. Do you know how expensive it is to live here? Like that's actually a very reasonable, very reasonable. Fear of success, man. Fear of success. It is a real fear. Do you know that people really fear that? Like. It blows Being my mind. successful and having the things in which they really want, people get scared of that because you're waiting for the other shoe to drop or for somebody to say, "No, we were just playing." Psych. Mm-mm. That was what we really offer. We just playing. I like why I told him I was like, the worst thing that can happen is you work there and it doesn't work out, and they paid you a ton of money for however long. That's literally the worst case scenario. What are you gonna, like? What are you gonna do? Like you're gonna sign the offer letter and then two weeks later I'm be like, Nah, psych. What? <laughs> <laughs> you don't take the job. <laughs> Right. What are you talking right. about? So, right. But it's the fear of success. I'm telling you, it is a fear of success. So and I always help... tell people, I'm, I'm like, how are you scared of the thing that you wanted? So how do you help people overcome that? It is mindset shifting, right? It is actually helping people to understand that everybody has a unique set of gifts and talents. And your unique set of gifts and talents are yours. And once you lock into what they actually are, then you figure out, now, how have I used that? To show up again as a painkiller and not the vitamin. Vitamins are cute, but if my head is hurting, I'm not reaching for a vitamin. Mm. I'm reaching for a painkiller, right? Every position in every organization exists because there is a pain point. So mm-hmm. how are you going to show up and blow somebody's mind, yep. right? Yep. And so it's like based upon your gifts, based upon your ta- your talents. How do you show up that way? How do you walk like you are two feet taller than what you are, right? <laughs> Go bigger. And it's mm-hmm. like, and then thinking also about how, what is the ultimate vision that you have for your career, right? And mm-hmm. here's the thing, eight years ago, you could, I couldn't tell you. Mm-hmm. Eight years ago, I was like, oh, I was an assistant HR director. I'm like, I'm good. Yeah. I'm cool. I'm making a little bag. It's okay. Yeah. Right? We're eating good. I got a nice car. Everything's okay. But then it was like, I ran into my first career coach and he was like, no, I need you to think bigger. 
Mm. But oftentimes what happens is that if we don't see ourselves in those roles, if we don't have someone that can help us to see ourselves in those roles, we think that that's the unknown and you're afraid of that. Even though that may be what you esteem to be one day, you're afraid of it because I don't know what that is. I don't know what that, how far that's going to stretch me or push me. You know, women notoriously, when they look at job descriptions or job postings, they won't apply unless they meet maybe the 100% of the criteria. And it's like, but if you met 100%, why would you apply anyway? Yeah. It is literally a lateral move. (laughs) Right, right. But it's, it's safety. It's that comfort. It's playing it safe. And so yeah. like with the women I work with, it's like, stop playing it safe. We don't play safe anymore. Yeah. I want you to, I want you to get extremely uncomfortable looking at a job description, but to the point where you can say, here's how I can rock out in that position. And by the way, here's how much you're going to pay me to do it. Yeah, and I always tell them, write your number and then add some tax to it. And then add some tax to it. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because I think, so I think I come from a biased point of view uh, personally, just due to the fact that I've always been in some sort of sales role, which I know sales, quote unquote, is a dirty word, but like, Hey, I hate to break it to everybody out there. If you're everything uh, is sales. Yeah. But like, especially if you're in any form of role where your business development, you are in sales, you are selling Mm -hmm. people to like you. Okay. But the type of person that comes into my role typically is a type of person that wants unlimited income potential, that wants freedom, that wants the challenge. Mm -hmm. So it already somewhat self-selects for Mm -hmm. people who inherently have to think bigger Mm -hmm. um, because Mm -hmm. otherwise they wouldn't end up in the role typically. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I do struggle with that when I talk to folks because like to me it's like so self-evident. It's like, yeah, you're going to pay me. Like, yeah, I want, I want something that I'm not qualified for. Yeah. I want something, you know, I want something that's going to challenge me and make me think differently, think creatively. Um, And but that's your belief though. Your belief is that you can do that job. Right. Because here's the thing. Well, we know, Every decision that we make, whether that be for you to apply for something, for you to go after something, is predicated on the belief that you have. Correct. And your belief is such that I'm, I'm, I know I can do it. I, it don't look like I can do it, but I'm going to do it. Right? I'll figure it out. So I'll figure it out. So I'm going to do it. So that, but, but that belief is also predicated on a lot of thoughts that you have. Like, and your thoughts aren't limiting thoughts. They're thoughts like, you know what? I've done it before. Maybe I've, I know how to learn. I know how to do these things. I know how to ask for help. These are all your thoughts. And so those thoughts have formed this belief that you have now believed to be true, that you can do any role that you set your, set your mind to. And so as a result, a, you're going to apply. You think a lot of folks end up with these limiting belief systems because they had bosses that were just terrible and they envisioned that the, the, next, that the next step is them becoming that terrible boss and they don't want to do kind of that fear of success? Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's that. I think um, the limiting beliefs also come from just it is the boss it is the it's the personal stuff because again i always think that people show up to work as the people they are at home Mm. right they don masks right like many of us don't show up truly as our authentic selves we show up as our work self but it's still they're still a person when they show up so they still have all that baggage that they're carrying around with them you know the self-worth the self-doubt you know whatever that is those 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 issues right and so then you throw that in there, that's the limiting beliefs too. But then you, when you compound that with a boss that basically has their thumb on you and says, oh, you're only going to be this big or I'm not going to grow you. I'm not going to like do anything for you. Absolutely. And then when I do get in the leadership role, I don't know what to do with it. That's so interesting because you didn't have that example. You didn't have that role model. You didn't have, it's like, yeah. how are you, it's like, yeah, yeah. Ooh, that's so good. It, and it's so interesting. It's like, you can't code switch your, uh, your, you, you know, your self-esteem coming into work. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Uh, man, that's, you got, you got my little wheels spinning in so many different Telling directions. You. Telling you. So, <laughs> so, I mean, okay. We, we talked a lot about the negative stuff, but like, what, what gives you hope? Like you're, again, you're dealing with dozens of people. You got tons of clients, yeah. you got deals with Dell. You've, you know, you're, you're the national symphonies picking back up, rehiring. For, like, I mean, there is good stuff happening. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. So what gives you hope? That, you know what? People want more. People want to do better. People genuinely want to see things on organizations work, right? I think that's the hope. I think that also there are, you think about all the social injustices and things like that. It's like, these are now sparking necessary conversations, Mm -hmm. right? That are changing up how organizations are looking at themselves, Mm -hmm. looking at how how they're moving, 
right? Mm-hmm. Looking at, okay, we throw up statements, but are we really walking this way, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's, 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 that's the hope. The hope is that now we're starting to put some traction to this thing. Now we're starting to move. And it's no more of being um, accepting of how we were pre, you know, I, like I'm telling you, Auntie Rona, Auntie Rona, social injustices, all the things have really have, have us to a point where we got to start looking at things a little differently. How are yep. we treating each other? And I'm seeing, you know, that's the hope I, that I see and that I have is that organizations are treating employees better mm-hmm. or at least attempting to. And, and not only that, but it's like now organizations, our employees aren't afraid in some instances to call it out if they're not being treated. Yeah, we ain't going back to 2019. It's not going to happen. No, and, no. And it, it, it's so interesting. And I want to touch base on this. You said people are wanting more. So let me break it down for everybody out there listening. If everybody wants more, people have this mindset that the pie is finite. And if everybody wants more, I'm going to get a smaller piece. That's not how it works. Okay. Um, if that was the mindset, then we'd still be riding horses and bikes. Okay. The car mm-hmm. would have never came along. The car was an event that made the pie bigger. Mm-hmm. Okay. Airplanes made the car pie bigger. Cell phones made the pie bigger. We have to make the pie bigger. Okay. That's mm-hmm. how society grows. That's why mm-hmm. you and I are not working in a coal factory somewhere in the 1880s. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's so we're right. sitting in, it's raining outside right now. That's where we're si- sitting inside. It's air conditioned. It's nice, you know, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. Um, so the, the challenge I would give to everybody listening is like, sit down and ask yourself, how can I make the pie bigger? All that's of right. us. How can we make the pie bigger? And part of that is us wanting more. You have to want to make your piece of the pie bigger to make mm-hmm. the entire pie bigger. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And knowing what, what it is that you're working with to make the pie bigger. Like, what mm. is it about you? And that's self-reflection. And you know what? You know what? Uh, Joyce Meyer always says, it, um, and I love it. She says, everywhere I go, there I am. <laughs> right? You cannot escape you. Yeah. So it's like, you need to figure out what is it about you? Again, what is that gift? What is that talent that you bring that allows you to do more, to, mm. to make the pie bigger? What is it? And, so, you know, anything that somebody told you before, you it's time for you to ignore that and keep it moving. It's so interesting. So so speaking of making the pie bigger, so you let's say somebody wants to hire you through Elevate Her and, and work with you. What does that process look like of discovery, of meeting, of working with somebody? Give, just give us a 10,000 foot view of that. Yeah, there is no click to buy, Keisha. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just put that right you know, You know what I'm saying? Like people are yeah. like, oh, go to my website and click this. And now you bought me for the yeah. hour or you bought me for no. Um, because I'm a big fan of there's a click to have a conversation with Keisha. Mm-hmm. Let's have a DM conversation. Let's have an email conversation that leads into another like informal type of coffee chat, what have you. Right. Because yeah. I'm not chasing money. Right? Yeah. I'm not chasing opportunities and everything that I'm aligned with may not be the right thing. And so it's always about um, to work with Keisha. It's, Let's let's have an opportunity to have a conversation first mm, to see okay. if we are aligned, and that's a client it. or otherwise. <laughs> right? I love it. All right. Think about it. You and I had a conversation. Yeah, that's how I approach my entire life. Mm-hmm. Like I, mm-hmm. I tell folks all the time, like all I ever want from anybody is a non-confrontational conversation, and we can take it from there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's as simple mm-hmm. as that. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously I'll have all like the website and, uh, and the LinkedIn and all that stuff in the show description. So if you're listening, you can literally just open up Apple podcasts or Spotify or Castbox or wherever you're listening and just click the link. Um, so I, I got a, qu- a last question that I want to end the, end the interview on. You go back to yourself in your younger days in your work career, all wide eyed and bushy tailed. All right. Yeah. If there's one thing you could go back to yourself and do differently, what would that one thing be? Man, I would have got a coach sooner. Ooh, okay. There you go. Hands down. Man, I think about so much of my career, how I was bumping along, trying to figure it out. Just winging it. Yeah. Flying by the entire seat of my pants. And I'm like, if I just had to have somebody that would have reined me in, I'd been a beast. I would have been a beast. You would have had to talk to three people before you would have got to talk to me by now. <laughs> oh, you want to talk to Keisha? Hold on. We have to an appointment <laughs> with her assistant's assistant. Talk to her, right? I'm telling you, like, yeah, I would have got a coach much sooner, though. Seriously, Mm, I love that. Mm -hmm. I would have gotten a coach sooner. I I agree. I mean, and I got a coach relatively young in my career. I mean, I was probably 24. 
the See? first time I paid for, for a coach. And I wish I would have. Shoot, I wish I could have paid for a coach in like high school. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, hey, help me think through this. Like, help me think a little bit bigger. Um, this was awesome. I really appreciate you coming on. Like, hey, any, anytime. Any parting words to the audience? I mean, thank you for, you know, reaching out to a girl like me that just likes to run my mouth on LinkedIn. I appreciate you um, for, you know, allowing me to step on your on your shoulders, on your platform. I think this is dope what you're doing. And I think that all of the listeners should make sure that they are not only listening to this, but they are sharing this because, 100%. Um, yeah, because, I mean, you never know what's going to be said or what you're going to pick up from that could spark something in somebody else. Mm. And so I, I'm a fan of what you're doing. Um, I've been trying to, I've, I've been listening to the other one. I was like, I'm not a man, but I'm going to go over here and listen too. Cause you know, hey. I might pick, I might pick up, I might pick up something I need to know about and go tell my son and my husband later. 60% of my <laughs> audience of millennial manhood is women. It's bananas. I'm, tell, I'm, I'm telling you, it is, it is wild. <laughs> and, and like 98% of the people who reach out to me on the pod, on that podcast are, it's not even close. It's almost exclusively women. Um, so I'm just saying, but no, I do. I do appreciate this opportunity. And again, if you're listening, when you're listening, however you're listening, um, share it, definitely share it, spread the word because that is how we, that's how we grow. That's how we make the pie bigger is all this information. I mean, it's so amazing how much information is at your fingertips now. Oh, think, think about all the things you share today. That's your best stuff that. Somebody will hear because they clicked on an Apple podcast link. <laughs> See what I'm saying? It's beautiful. Like it is so wild. Um, no, yeah. thank you for thank you for coming on. This was awesome. And for everybody listening again, I will have all the info in the show show description, little bio, et cetera. Uh workwithyob.com. So work with J O V dot com. You can find all the episodes on there. You can find a little bio about me. You can also just go and look for the band-aid um on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, et cetera. LinkedIn, again, description in the show, show notes. And uh, besides that, look forward to talking to you guys again soon. Thanks. uh, Thanks again for coming on.